So we've probably heard this text uh, multiple times. It's kind of a go-to text uh, during Christmas time, during Advent. Um, and I think it's easy uh, to just rush on by this narrative and kind of get to the meaty stuff, not even about an eyelash, eyelash. But I really believe that if we allow this uh, Christmas story to shape us, to actually uh, dwell in it, I think we'll be surprised at the very uh, practical implications that this story has for our personal lives. And so I was, as I was studying this text a bit this week, there were two things that kind of jumped out at me um, that I wasn't really even expecting. And I'd, like, I'd love to share those with you this morning. So the first is this, is that God's glory and strength often shows up in the seeming silence of ordinary so as I was looking at this passage, passage this week, I have sort of an uh, imagination that kind of carries me off to distant lands. And uh, so as I was reading this, I was kind of thinking about what it, this must have been like for the shepherds. Um, imagine what this day felt like for them. So they probably woke up like every other morning, uh, hit the snooze alarm a couple times, which probably was throwing a rock at a rooster, get 15 more minutes of sleep. Threw on a cloak, put on some sandals, had some coffee, said goodbye to the wife and kids, probably just in the nick of time before they woke up to avoid the chaos of getting the kids ready, getting dressed. And, uh, you know, took their leftovers from uh, last night's meal in a bag and headed out to chase a bunch of sheep around for the day. And uh, so this is just ordinary life, these shepherds. They're kind of like construction workers. Uh, weren't looked too favorably upon during this time. They're just your regular average Joe. And so, uh, you know, they've been at it for a while, chasing the sheep around. And uh, Luke says in verse 8 that they were out in the night. So they were pulling a night shift, uh, watching the sheep in the cold, of the cold of the night. And you know what? They're probably like any of you at the, long, or at the end of a long day where you're hungry, you're tired, you're cold. All you can think about is getting home, having a warm shower. I mean, if you're a construction worker, especially. And, uh, you know, eating a good meal, laughing and playing with your kids. And then you're really longing for your bed where you can lie down and pull the covers up. What a glorious moment. Um, so this is probably what they're looking forward to. Um, you know, it's just a daily, daily routine. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. In verse 9, Luke writes, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And I can just picture these guys. This angel shows up in the middle of all these sheep. They're just looking at each other like, Whoa, what's going on here? This is not uh, normal. And, you know, I, I think that there's actually something very profound uh, for us here. Now, I don't know a lot of shepherds. I don't think I've ever met a shepherd. The only thing I really know about sheep is from the movie Babe, which I really like. But I know lots of people with ordinary lives who do ordinary things. Um, you know, many of you know the daily grind of work, the daily grind of raising kids day in and day out, uh, working nine to five, doing the same thing, or in school, writing papers, taking tests. Uh, it's just every day. And um, a lot of you guys know that the feeling of another week just kind of flashes by. You're like, where the heck did that week go? That was so fast. And, uh, you know, whenever I asked my dad growing up what his day would like, day look like, he'd always say, oh, it was workish. 
and I never really understood what he was talking about until I had this nine to five job. You know, and someone comes up to me and asks, "What? So what did you do this week?" Uh, I worked. You can't really remember anything else. It's just that normal uh, routine. But what I'm really, what I'm saying, and what my dad's saying is, we're just doing the usual routine. Uh, nothing really out of the ordinary. But I think it's in this arena, in uh, in just ordinary life, that God shows His strength and power. And I find it interesting here that this angel doesn't show up to one shepherd, uh, but he actually shows up to multiple shepherds. And uh, so he shows up in the midst of ordinary people who see each other all the time. And this is the place that God reveals his presence and power. In the midst of relationships and friendships and especially families. You know, when you get home from work, there they are. They're there. When you go on vacation or celebrate the holidays, there they are. When you go to work, there they are. When you go to school, there they are. This is why husbands, or moms for that matter, I think, uh, can easily turn into workaholics. Because you do your work, finish a project, but the feeling of, of competence and knowing what you're doing is so refreshing and comfortable that sometimes it's just easier to stay at work. You know, there are kids who need attention and un unresolved argument with a spouse, uh, squabbles to figure out. You know, in my case, I know that my wife and kids are much harder to figure out than building bookshelves or citing a house. And it's so easy to come home and be frustrated with the kids because they aren't as obedient as my saw. My saw does whatever I want it to do. And my kids just aren't that way. Or we come home and are indifferently detached because we have a cool and quiet you know, hatred of not feeling competent in the home. And we begin to see our spouse or children as the problem. So we take out our frustration on them. But I think that it is in this arena of sometimes feeling helpless confused, bitter, detached, and frustrated in everyday interaction with people that you usually see God's power. That's where God's power is actually made visible. So what does this look like? Well, this goes uh, to our second point. The second point is God's power is made most visible in our daily weakness and dependence. So when this angel uh, shows up to these shepherds, the angels or the the angel says something that would have completely shocked them, that they weren't looking for. Uh, they would have certainly shocked the Jewish folk in the in the first century, who are waiting for the Savior to come. Listen to what uh, the angel says in verse ten. Uh, he writes or he says, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people." So they're looking at each other. Okay, this is good. The scary thing is he's bringing good news. He's not going to destroy us. He keeps going, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <clears throat> what? So God became a baby? This is completely opposite from the uh, distorted messianic hope that a majority of Jewish folk in this day had anticipated. You know, the Messiah was supposed to fly in on this golden dragon with missiles coming out. And <laughs> Jesus was supposed to vaporize his enemies with a mere word uh, to reestablish the temple, to institute political power and dominance for Israel. <clears throat> and here he is, lying on a pile of hay in a barn, unable to change his own diaper or feed himself. 
And this little baby would turn the course of history on its head. He would turn the world upside down slowly and quietly and put a permanent dent in the world that would last forever. Now I think uh, when most people think of making a dent or an impact in the world, um, we tend to think of accomplishments and trophies. You know, when I was growing up, I loved sports, I played a lot of sports. Whenever I went to a friend's house, I'd always go to their room, see how many trophies they had, count them up in my head. If I had more, that meant I'm awesome. If not, I wasn't. So I'm always, I was always measuring myself. Um, and, you know, for some people, it's uh, making lots of money. That's a marker of a life well spent. For others, it's gaining respect and authority in a job, how many people listen to you. Or it might be how successful your own child is, where he goes to college, how respectful he is, what kinds of grades he gets, how much he gets done. For others, it's making sure our kids never do drugs or get drunk. Whatever it is, we want something to justify our life, something that we can look back on at the end of our life and say, I did that. I'm somebody. And this same sort of thinking has totally crept into the church. In order to make a big impact in the kingdom of God, uh, I have to be really vocal about my faith. I have to meet all my neighbors. I have to make sure I'm up to date on all the latest Christian gossip and books. So I have something really insightful to say. I have to convert people. I have to make sure all my kids are really obedient. And I have to uh, carry around a really well-worn Bible in order to make a difference. In other words, I have to be a superstar Christian in order to make a dent in the world. And yet here in this text, we see God's strength showing up in the silence of ordinary lives and in humble weakness and dependence. So the beginning of Jesus' life sets the course for the rest of his life, which is humble dependence on his Father. You know, Jesus himself teaches this when he grows up in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus' bro, James, writes, God opposes the the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, I think that the the biggest dents that we actually make uh, in the world are often in the context of day-to-day interaction with people that you see all the time, in the context of relationships. And these are actually relationships that are often unseen. By anyone else. Um, and since many of you are parents, uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about how this affects our parenting. What this has to do with anything with, our, with families. You know, and this can easily be applied to any relationship. So even if you don't have kids or you're in college or, or you're single, um, this totally applies to you as well. So a humble life um, looks like a life that is filled with God's spirit. And Paul writes in Galatians 5, and I want you to think about this. Think about how we relate to people. This is what it means to be filled with with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So humility means treating others the way God has treated you. And how has He treated you? Well, He loves you even when you're unlovable. He treats you with mercy when you deserve his anger. He is patient with you even when you're grumbling and whining. He is faithful with you even when you are unfaithful. He is gentle with you because he understands how weak you are. He forgives you even when you don't deserve it. 
Now your children, as many of you know, are looking to you to show them what God is like. You know, God especially cares for the lowly and those who are weak, and he calls us as parents to treat our children the same way he has treated us. And, you know, it's not glamorous. It's often unseen within the walls of our home. You know, but a humble life is a consistent life, meaning you're not one person in the eyes of the public and another within the walls of your home. If anything, we should be kinder in our homes where no one sees. And living in the Spirit... You know, what this means is you laugh and pinch your child's chubby cheek when he spills the milk, rather than yelling. It means being patient even when they're whining, which is almost impossible. It means rejoicing over them with hugs and kisses, even though they've been a rotten little child. It means serving them without any reward or applause. Moms, it means that your day-in and day-out labor is one of, if not the most important job on the face of planet Earth. And your ordinary faithfulness, patience, love, and diligence is an absolute delight to the Lord. Now, if anyone does this perfectly, then you're Jesus. And I don't think you're Jesus. This kind of calling, I think, should produce in us a sense of inadequacy and weakness. At least it does for me. You know, if the Holy Spirit produces this kind of life, then I need the Holy Spirit. If I try to do all these things on my own, then I will blow up at my kids if they disobey. I will yell at them if they whine. I will ignore them because they bother me. And I will expect them to act like they're seven when they're three. The flesh, my flesh, wants to control um, and does not want to acknowledge weakness. I hate weakness. I do not want to be weak. The flesh wants to be the hero. It is proud, it resists humility, and it is a monster. And that is why, if you, if you probably came over to my house, sometimes at maybe 10 p.m., when the kids have gone to sleep, you might find Kristen and I in our living room, uh, acknowledging how weak and helpless we are before the Lord. You'd probably hear me telling the Lord how much I want vengeance when Jack takes a Wii remote out and throws it on the ground. I don't want mercy, I want retaliation. You would probably hear me telling the Lord that I have no idea uh, sometimes what I'm doing. Uh, what you would probably hear is a little helpless child going to his father and asking for help. You would see me asking him for his spirit, and then you would see my joy when my father embraces me, his weak, sinful, struggling child, and gives me his spirit. And then... In the moments when I do notice that I am being patient in the midst of crying children at 2 a.m. and being gentle with them when they're completely out of control, I just laugh to myself and tell my father how awesome he is. Because my weakness makes room for God to work. It makes room for his, his glory. So if you're weak, there's hope for you. He gives grace to those who know that they can't do it. And your weakness will be the stage where you see God's power to enable you by his strength to treat others the way that he has treated you. And when you don't, he loves it when you come running back to him again and again and again asking for help. He never gets tired of that. He'll forgive you, he'll embrace you, and he'll empower you to reflect his character back to your children and those around you. Acknowledging your brokenness to the Lord is a doorway into his storehouse 
Our gracious Father, uh, you know our sin. You know how impatient we are. You know how uh, we would we want vengeance um, rather than repaying with kindness. Um, and Father, we just ask that you would lead us back to yourself again and again and again, knowing that you love to forgive us, you love to refresh us, you love to embrace us, and you love to enable us and give us your spirit. So we acknowledge that we are weak before you, and you are strong. And we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name.